This is Donnie Tuttle, the Sell Anywhere trainer, coach, and practitioner. Welcome to the only podcast designed for the remote sales professional and the remote leader, helping you live with more joy, more freedom, and more productivity. We believe that your talent is not limited to your zip code and that you can build the life that you want while selling from anywhere. All right, so Sell Anywhere audience, I've got an awesome man on the phone with me. Uh, You're gonna be excited to hear from the author of The Perfect Close, a man who has been doing this sell from anywhere lifestyle for many moons. And um, actually, before I even introduce you to him, I've gotta tell you, there 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 was an interview that I did with him before on the Sales Heroes podcast. And, um, you know, I just, I happened to have done it from a pirate ship that was sunken in. So that particular interview is at the bottom of the sea somewhere, <laughs> but, but I'm redeeming myself and I'm bringing the value back. Uh, we have James Muir, pure Muir, who, uh, right now is, is, uh, really known as a keynote speaker, best-selling author, and the guy who makes happy nurses and happy patients. Uh, James, welcome to the show, man. Donnie, thanks for having me on the show. It's great to do round two. We'll have to keep this one preserved. We will. We will. Yeah, we, we're gonna we're gonna seal this one and uh, and keep it. Now, here's a funny thing for those of you who have been following our adventure. I'm actually in Salt Lake City at the moment of us taping this. James, where are you at, man? I am in a suburb of Salt Lake City called Harriman. So I live in the mountains just southwest of Salt Lake City proper. Oh, okay. So then actually, so, well, then I live in Sandy. So you mentioned Sandy earlier. That's where we are at. And it's interesting. We've met online here. This is like, uh, you know, but, but, but we haven't shaken hands in person. We will absolutely do that here pretty soon. But uh, James, introduce yourself, man. Tell us a little bit about you and, and, uh, and just what, what makes you tick uh, other than what I've, I've talked about what you do, but maybe not so much who you are. Who is this masked man, James Muir? Well, yeah, well, today I have, uh, I got two roles today, right? I'm the president of Best Practice International. That's a consulting firm for organizations that are, you know, have complex B2B sales, mostly healthcare clients is who my clients are in that space. And then I'm also an equity holder and a VP of sales for a company called Shift Wizard, which you mentioned. Uh, and, and what they do is uh, enterprise-wide shift scheduling uh, for hospitals and integrated delivery networks. So I'm doing both of those things. Uh, right now. And I, like you mentioned, I'm a, uh, the perfect close. It actually hit number one for the third time just uh, last Woo-hoo! week. So it's still, still going strong out there. I get, I'm surprised, but uh, excited that, uh, you know, long after the launch, it's still a very popular book and people are getting a lot out of it. We're going to get into that too, because I think you, James, you've taken and demystified something that a lot of us have given complexity to. <laughs> that is the close. And so we're going to share some of that. So uh, listeners get ready for that one. James, I need to know, man, where are the, we, we talked about that you're in Salt Lake City now, but give me some of the, some of your, um, your selling scenario. You, you, you work from where, how often, when does that change? Give me, give me your work environment scenario. Sure. So, well, I, I'm working primarily with executive decision makers, and because of that, they can be located anywhere in the country. Like yesterday, I was in uh, Dallas. So uh, I travel a lot at least three days a week, sometimes more than that, uh, and that means I got to work on the road. So everything I need has to come with me. That means it's all got to fit into one and a half carry-ons. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, I would just say that uh, I've been able to sell, you know, anywhere, uh, not so much by design, even though I do like traveling, um, but most are out of necessity because uh, when you're meeting with those executive buyers, uh, their time's at a premium. So uh, we, we mostly cater to their schedules. Mm, I love that. So, um, so we're talking about you're setting up wherever the executives are. And so, uh, James, I'm sure you're not just traveling to Dallas and then you meet with the executive and then you travel back. I'm sure you're doing other things in between. Um, where, do you set, where do you normally post up? How, like, are you in coffee shops? Or are you in co-working spaces in your hotel? Like, where, where, where do you go? Um, could be any of those places. Sometimes it's in a car. Sometimes it's in a, uh, a you know, like a crown room or something like that at an airport. Uh, yesterday, I was actually in a place called WeSpace, which uh, I've never heard of before until uh, yesterday. But it's basically a big office space. This entire floor of this building was just a ton of cubes that uh, you can come in and you essentially rent them. But you've got it's got everything that you want. It's got you know uh, computer screens and Wi-Fi and uh, conference call lines and uh, conference rooms. And uh, it, it was, it's great setup and it was very busy. So it looks like a pretty good model for them, but yeah, I could be anywhere. In fact, sometimes uh, I'll do business with a client and then I'll just ask them if they have space and I'll sit down and do some work from there. Just depends on what the travel schedule is really. Ooh, I'm glad you said that one. I, I do that often. Um, a lot of the way that I sell is through, uh, you know, through in-person workshops and then afterwards, rather than driving back and wasting those prime hours on driving or, or whatever the case is on travel, I'll, I'll set up right there. And then also the, uh, that co-working space is, is a phenomenal thing as well. Um, tell, tell me this, like why, why, why not a traditional office? How long have you been away from a traditional office and has it just been a necessity thing for you or is it, is it something that you chose or feel into that one a little bit for me? No, it's, it's really more out of necessity, but it's, uh, it's in, totally ingrained in me now because for the last 30 years, I've had this schedule that's like this. Um, and I've tried to adjust it a little bit as I've taken on more executive level roles, uh, which would let me be home with my family a little bit more. But um, yeah, uh, years ago, many years ago, this is, uh, you know, 20 some years ago, I was uh, an application specialist and so, or a demo dolly, if you want to call me that. Um, and so I would, other people would book the appointments and then I would go out and be with them. Right. And so those those salespeople would run you as hard as you wanted to be run. You could be out seven days a week if you, if you'd let them. Um, so I, I just can't even remember a time when I wasn't traveling three days a week. So you don't do that for 30 years without learning a few tricks on how to make it smooth. <laughs> Man, no, that 30 years, you were like, you're at the forefront of this whole thing. And I feel like there's just this massive flood of people moving into that space now, um, mainly because of technology. Oh, yeah, we, 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 yeah, well, we went through all the security changes that happened at the airports. And I can tell you all these funny stories we used to do with each other, you know, before they made all those rule changes. But uh, yeah, I've <laughs> seen it all from, in fact, there was no web meetings, right? Originally, there was no web meeting. In fact, there were no projectors. When we first, we, we had an overhead projector called the Duquesne. And then we had a plate, a plate that we would plug a VGA in and that would sit on top of the overhead projector and that would project forward. And people thought we were whiz bang cool when <laughs> we brought that thing in. So that's how, I mean, I, we watched and it would, the gear that we would have to haul with us was so, so huge. We would never, you know, you'd have to check four bags uh, because of all the gear we were hauling around. So it's come a long way, right? You can get, like I said, I can get almost everything I need into one and a half bags unless I'm going for longer than a week. All right, James, got to know, man, what's in your bag? You're getting on the plane tomorrow. What's in the bag? Everything's already packed. 
So that, that I don't anybody who travels a lot probably is like this. I, I can pack if if, if somebody said, "Hey, we got to go." I, Ten minutes later, I could be all perfectly packed and ready to go because everything is already uh, there. So all your toiletry there, and they're all contained, self-contained. So if you got to pull them out, so they can go to the X-ray and all that, it's all it's all done. But um, what's in my bag is I got a very small projector. Of course, I got a laptop. I also have a tablet. I also have my phone, and I use all those things. I even have a little docking station for my phone that turns it into a PC if I need to. All I need is a screen. Uh, and I can HDMI to it, and boom, my my literally my phone becomes a laptop if I want to do that. Oh, you have an um, HDMI cord from your phone. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a there's iPhone people and there's Android people, and I'm an Android guy. I use the Note series, and uh, it's something called a Dex station. And if I plug it into that Dex station, and then I'm at the uh, I'm at the hotel, boom, it's a PC. So it's uh, it's phenomenal, and it just keeps getting better and better. So I I do foresee a time when I won't have to take even the laptop. Um, with me, although they're so thin now, it takes up the least amount of space in my bag. So um, I have a, I do have a container. Uh, it's, it looks like a toiletry bag, but it really is just completely full of adapters and wires and things like that. Um, I also have some recording equipment. So uh, it's like a Zoom recorder. Probably a lot of people don't know what that is, but um, so if I'm speaking somewhere, I, I just mic myself, turn it on, and it records to an SD card. And then later when we're done, we can. We can upload the, the recording somewhere else. So, but all that goes, and then whatever happens, when, and where it was needed, I'm capable of handling it. I can't even tell you the number of times somebody else has tried to connect to a projector uh, in a conference room, and they don't have the connector that they need, and I just pull it out of my bag and give it to them so that we can keep going. Dude, so, yeah, and in, in being prepared, because it's almost, it's almost in our profession, technology is going to go wrong. And so it sounds like you have a, you have a backup to a backup to a backup, and how did, how did you learn that lesson? I am an over-preparer. I am fully guilty of that. <laughs> uh, it's, and it's school of hard knocks, right? Because there's just some kind of things that happen that will just kill your presentation. It's over, right? And so I just, I don't want to, I don't want, I have another friend. He's, he's, he's not as light as me, but he, he packs long cords and everything because he doesn't want to get in a situation where he can't be able to project because that will end the, his presentation. But I would also say you, you can go low tech too, right? Like I have, uh, I have Sharpies and I have uh, flip chart markers and I have dry erase markers because you know, how many times have you gone to the whiteboard and either the markers are dry or they're the wrong kind of marker, right? So I just carry those in my bag so that if, uh, if it comes up, say, ask if I can use it, you know, say, oh, but we don't have any markers, no problem. Right. I, I got him. Jim. So, and, uh, I'm looking James, at the bag right I, here. We, <laughs> we could very easily inventory the whole thing if you want. James, I, I, like I'm thinking, I can remember there was, there was a particular time, James, uh, I wish I had had you living inside my headspace. I was doing a presentation and for whatever reason, I couldn't get it connected. They couldn't get it connected. Eventually it got connected, but it was like 12 minutes late. And gosh, it was so hard to get out of my own head the things that I'd done wrong. Are you, you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Just, you get rattled, right? And, yeah. And usually when you're rattled, it takes longer to do stuff. And then now, and the truth is you have less time than you had before. And by the way, I think that's a good argument for why you need to be super prepared for every presentation. Because if someone says, Hey, I only have 10 minutes now, either they show up late or we, I've had executives come in and say, I only have 10 minutes. And honestly, I get uptight when that happens, but I'm going to make the most of the 10 minutes, right? And so you, you got to have your message tight. 
you, and you got to know exactly what you want to say before you go in there. Because if that all happens, you might you might end up with no screens, no PowerPoint, no nothing. You might just be saying everything. And by the way, my favorite kind of presentation today has nothing to do with PowerPoint. It's whiteboard. Whiteboard or flip chart is hands down the best. And the data shows that people retain what uh, you present way better with a whiteboard or with a flip chart if you're drawing the whole thing. And that's because they can't tell what's going to happen next, right? And so it's much more interactive to them. And sometimes you can even you hand the markers over to them and ask them to add some stuff to the picture too. It's really fantastic. Um, but, and here's the caveat, well, you got to know your stuff cold, right? Because you're not going to be able to just look up at the slide and read the next bullet on the slide. Right, it's got. It's all got to actually be in the memory bank for you to be able to put it back out in a in a sort of a stickman diagram uh, type of model when you're using a whiteboard or a flip chart. Oh man, that is that is rich. I've never actually had anyone um, share like this before. Now there was there was a guy that um, oh gosh, he was the head of all of the Hilton um, the Hilton brand hotels for a while, and he actually encouraged. He said, if you can't take your message and draw it, not write it, draw it on a napkin, you don't know your message. And what, what you just now told me was like, if you, can't, if you can't put it on a whiteboard, you don't know it. Don't be a- 100% don't, agree. Don't be a slideshow yeah. jockey. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, it's actually, it's a crutch. It's a crutch. And I'm, I'm guilty of having used that crutch in the past. But I mean, if you wanna be tight, and you need to uh, distill your message down to where you can do, a, uh, do it with a drawing. And you might have like four or five separate drawings, like this concept, and then you draw it out. But the cool thing is people actually remember that better. I mean, there's an outfit that is worth following. It's called, the name of the company is called Corporate Visions. And they have several books uh, that you can purchase. Um, and, uh, but it, they're all absolutely excellent. But they, they, they have, they've been right at the forefront of all of this research on why um, drawing and like even when you have to use a PowerPoint, you're actually better off using a font that looks like you were drawing than, uh, than not. And that's actually why if you look inside my book, all of the illustrations and everything in the book all look like they're hand drawn. Um, and that's, we're try I'm trying to maximize the retention um, for, for the experience of the people either reading the book or if they're watching a presentation. Love it, man. I want to get into the book. I'm really excited about uh, just asking. And by by the way, uh, Tim Reisterer. That's that's the I just I just not realized. That's your guy. Yeah, I love Tim. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah, follow that guy. Good stuff. Good people. You guys should all follow follow them. They they really have the science behind the sale. Uh, so I love that. When um, do you remember anything that that transitionally happened to you when you went from? Or was it just so long ago? But from the time where you went from regular office scenario to, hey, James, you can, you can do this from anywhere. As a matter of fact, you have to by necessity. Was there any adjustment or, or any, any, any speed bumps for you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so if you're asking what's the biggest challenge with that type of lifestyle, I would say that hands down, the biggest challenge is still trying to value and maintain your relationships with other people, with your family and with your friends when you're traveling all the time. It makes it really hard. And man, I screwed up big time when I first, I first when I got married, I spent my first year anniversary in, in the Houston airport coming back from a deal. And I, I remember talking to my very sad wife on the phone and realizing what a colossal screw up it was for me to have booked a sales meeting on my anniversary, which is this Tuesday, by the way. Um, and Happy it just shows how out of, yeah, thanks. Um, out of whack, how it just shows how out of whack my priorities were and how they can get when, um, 
you know, when you get totally absorbed into work and it's great, right? I mean, it's great that we can, that, you know, it's fun and exciting to be killing it at work, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the challenge now is how do I maintain those relationships while we're on the road, right? I mean, money, money recognition, you know, even security, none of those things are more important than relationships are. And that was a hard lesson. And I'm, I'm downplaying it here, but I'm telling you, my relationships suffered for quite a while and I got in some you know, to a place where maybe it wasn't going to work out. And, and so I would just coach anybody on this call that don't, don't start putting your work ahead of your own relationships with your family and all that, that can easily happen. It happened to me. And so th these things have to be factored mm. into your travel schedule, right? I would I will never make that mistake again, but I can't go back in time and take my, ver my one year anniversary and get it back. I can't, wow. I, that's forever. My, my wife will never, she'll never not remember the fact that I was in the wrong place on that one year anniversary. So, and, um, yeah, I miss some of my kids, my kids growing up, same thing. Right. So I don't mean to turn preachy on y'all, but, um, no, this you have is good. to decide, yeah, you just have to decide what, you know, what are your priorities, right? All those, all those important dates and milestones, they're on my calendar now and they're sacred. If the world's biggest deal comes down the road and they want to meet on that special day, the answer is no. And, and I have walked away from some big opportunities. You know, it doesn't happen often, but if, if you decide in advance how you're going to roll, you know, um, then it's an easy decision to make. You got, but you have to decide, Hey, what's really important to you? What's your priorities? And uh, if you don't get that right, then you're going to end up in a lot of misery. I know cause I've lived it. And so, um, you know, don't let work become your life. You know, it, it's fun. It's thrilling, but we don't live to work, right? We, we work so that we can actually live. So there's a balance in there. Yeah. James, this is, this is perfect. And a lot of, a lot of the people who are listening to this are probably living on that line right now. And um, I want to know, so, so I'm hearing a little bit of schedule, but strategically and practically, how, how did you swing the pendulum back the other way? And what, is, what does James do? Is it, is, it, is it scheduling and then you stick to the plan? Is there more to it? Like, how, do you, how did you swing that back? There's some tricks you can do. Um, so uh, the first thing is you can take all the important dates and milestones and get them on your calendar and they're sacred. So nothing moves those dates. And then you plan around that so that the people that you're with know that they're the most important thing that works, not the most important thing. Okay. And you know, you're, you know, you're messing up when people, um, when your family, your own family comes into your office and knocks on your door and asks for permission to talk to you. You've, you screwed up somehow. They don't feel like you're approachable enough that you, they, they can even come into your office when you're working. And I got to that point, but there's, there's other tricks you can do. Like if you're going to do a trade show and it's going to be at Disneyland, well then, then book, you know, book three days or four days of Disneyland after the event and bring your family out for that part. Right. And so you've already kind of, in fact, even the company that you work for might have paid for your you know, outbound fare, maybe even your return fare. And so there's even a little bit of economy in it, but then it's fun for them too. Right. Or, and I've done it where um, my family goes and does something fun during the day while I'm at the events, you know, and then in the evenings we're doing stuff together. So see, so if, if you just think a little bit ahead about, you know, um, in, involving them, including them, then you, you won't find that you're sacrificing your own relationships for, for work or for business. Gosh, man, you have, you have no idea. Behind me is a, uh, is a poster of my vision board. And there's a huge phrase on it that says, go live on purpose. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that we've recently decided is that, I'm not traveling alone for any, any reason. And so when I go somewhere, 
at least one person from my family goes along and we, we make a, we make a date of it. And, um, I just don't want to lose those things that are most important. I, I love that. I love how you just now approach that, man. Yeah. My, my dad actually was a sales guy, traveling sales guy, right? So he uh, drove around the intermountain area in a car. So he had these long, long ro roads. And so, um, uh, he would take me as a kid and we had these really fantastic conversations while we were driving on the road, uh, to and from the different businesses that he would go and visit. And so, and I remember that today. I mean, and, uh, I actually had, just had a chance to do it like a three hour trip with him. We had to, I took him to an airplane museum for his birthday and, uh, we, we, we remembered all those different, uh, drives that we had done. And so there's a, there's some, there's some genius in what you're saying right there, right? Because you're building relationships at the same time. And there's something to be said for, if you're just taking one of them, then it, you get a lot more connected to that one person in the family as opposed to it's, it's just, it's not a bad dynamic to have a whole family, but it's a lot more personal. And uh, when you're taking just one, I think. Yeah. And, and with a family, like, I don't know if you knew this, we have eight children. So uh, yeah, that alone time is some, some pretty good, pretty good stuff. So um, let's turn the page <clears throat> uh, figuratively and literally take t uh, the perfect close. The secret to closing sales, one of the things I really feel like that all of us can do better is we can be better at closing. And most of us, James, we resist the close because we just don't want to feel pushy. And you really have a great approach that removes that, that takes away fear. And um, man, if you, can, if you can share a little bit about that, I'm, I'm looking at one of your, um, your, I don't know if not a tweet, but whatever it is on Instagram. So today, uh, closing secret number 18 from James Pure Muir is uh, regardless of a client's answer, the perfect close questions leave you and your client emotionally on much higher ground. James, this is, this is like, this is real servant selling type of stuff. Can you, can you, can you dig in a little bit and maybe share a little bit with, uh, with, with the listeners who can improve in this area? All right, I want you to hold that thought because I have a real quick message for the listeners and then we're gonna jump right into it. If you are looking to perfect the art and science of selling anywhere, I've got something for you. It's at thesalesclassroom.com and when you go to thesalesclassroom.com, you're going to find the Sell Anywhere Classroom. Now we have a free portion of that for you which is the sell at home survival kit and that is six video sessions and the ultimate guide and checklists of things that you need when you're selling from anywhere that is absolutely free and if you want to engage with us on a deeper level you can go over there right now and take a look at the salesclassroom.com it has all the best stuff from this podcast and from my life practices in selling from anywhere We'll see you there at thesalesclassroom.com. Oh, yeah. Let's just tell them the whole thing right now. So uh, there's two basic questions. I guess maybe that before we tell you what the questions are, anytime you go in any kind of interaction with a client or with a prospect, you know, you should think ahead before you go in. Hey, what's the ideal outcome here? What do I want to happen here? Right? So, and I would call that the ideal outcome. And then you want to have a couple of fallbacks because what you think is ideal and what the client might be ready for might be two different things. So you, you want to have sort of a, a best case, you know, uh, advance 
and then you want to have a couple alternatives just in case the one that you think is ideal it doesn't prove to be realistic for you so far so far this sounds and, like the bag that you that you pack on your trips but go ahead i'm <laughs> That is exactly right, right? It's your contingency plan. Yeah. And and knowing what those two, three things are, I recommend at least one, you know, at least one you know, ideal advance and a two bit, couple of backups. Um, and so when you walk into the meeting, knowing what all the little small steps are that they could be taking, then you're going to use these perfect closed questions to advance it. And it's going it to just, you by using an ingeniously phrased, but very simple phrased question, you can take all the pressure out of it. There is this non-confrontational, it's zero pressure, it feels facilitative, customer feels like they're in control. There's no reason not to ask it. And um, it, statistically, by the way, most sales calls, 50 to 90% of them actually end with nobody asking for any kind of an advance or commitment at all. So uh, wow. asking at all, asking at all is really a much bigger problem than, than asking in the wrong way. But the reason people aren't asking is because they've never learned a way that doesn't offend their sensibilities. The, all the ways that they've learned in all these books are pressure sort of tactics, and that's what they, they don't want to do. They don't want to be pushy, right? So, so what we're going to teach your listeners right now is how to do it without being pushy. So there's two questions. The first question is, does it make sense for us to X? Okay, and X is your ideal advance, okay? So if I was gonna do an assessment for Donnie, I'd say, hey Donnie, does it make sense for us to do an assessment for you to see if it, you know, see what kind of upside there is? And there's really only two things he can say. He can say yeah, or he can say no, right? And so um, if he says yes, great, we get our calendar out, we book it, right? If he says no, then what we're gonna do is, there's a couple different levels here. And the, the kindergarten level, is we're just going to throw the ball back to him and say, okay, well, what, what do you think makes a good next step then? Right? That's the second question. This is, what's a good next step then? And so those two questions, does it make sense to whatever your advance is? And then if they, if it turns out, you know, that they say no, then we say, okay, well, what do you think is a good next step? Now there's a flip, but if he says yes, then we can, we can also do an add-on. The add-on would be, okay, other clients at this stage sometimes do why. Does it make sense for us to do why? And, and that way you can add on. And the whole point of all of this is that we just want to go at the pace the customer's ready for. That's the ideal pace to go. It's when we start moving faster than they're ready for, that's when it starts to feel pushy, right? So we're just throttling it to what they're, what they're ready for with these two basic questions. Now, there's actually five different versions of this uh, question. And you, you heard just a hint of one. It's when, when people buy things, sometimes what we're selling isn't something that people buy a lot. And so they don't know how to buy it. They don't, they've never been walked through the process mm, that's um, a good of doing point. this. And so they're not, well, yeah, they're not very experienced at it. And I, I, I happen to be in that space. We tend to deal with enterprise wide um, IT systems. And, you know, it's very often the person has only purchased it once or maybe none times in their entire career. So they don't really know what a good next step is. So we can help them a little bit by seeding their thinking. We can say, you know, other clients at this stage typically do this. Does it make sense for us to do that? And you see, all this time, we're not saying, will you do it? In fact, asking them, will you buy or will you take my step is very different than does it make sense, yeah. right? Because does it, make, does it make sense is essentially at its core, it's just a timing question. It's not really, in fact, you could just turn it into a timing question. Is the timing right for us to X would be perfectly legit form of the question. It's really just a, a trial close, but it's, not, it's a non-pushy one. Right, because we're just testing whether they're ready, and uh, so um, by 
asking them that way instead of will you do this or will you do that, all the different closes that you've, you know, do you want to do it on Thursday or Friday or do you want blue or green or, do you, want, you know, there's all these different manipulative tactics that are out there. And those are the ones that offend people's sensibilities. If I'm just asking, does it make sense, do something, they can see where we're headed, but we're testing them to make sure that it's okay with them. And if they say yes, then you'll keep moving forward. And, and why you want those three things is if you do this, let's just say they, they, they don't uh, pick your ideal advance. You say, okay, well, other clients of this stage sometimes do this other thing. Does it make sense for us to do that? And then so we fell back one. And so and we, and we might fall back even two times. I wouldn't fall back more than a couple times or you'll start to look self-serving. But uh, when, you, when you do it this way, we're just basically trying to throttle it at a level that they're comfortable with. If after a couple times they still can't come up with something, then you, again, you just throw them the ball and say, well, what do you think is a good next step? And what I can tell you, I've been on hundreds and hundreds of ride-alongs with sale, my own sales teams, and I can tell you, in, when you say, what's a good next step, in 90% of the cases, the client is going to suggest a very logical next step for themselves. And they're always comfortable with their own next steps. So it, it moves the sale forward in a little way each time. And so you get momentum that way, but it doesn't ever become off being pushy. So, I mean, I, I, there's more around this, but uh, that's essentially the, the two key questions is, does it make sense for us to X? And, you know, um, and then the fallback is, okay, what do you think is a good next step? And then there's a couple other variations where we can add more on or uh, we can seed some thinking. There's some around, you know, if you're getting pressure from your boss to close by the end of the quarter, how can I figure out if there's a, a if we can actually close this without telegraphing any kind of concession? So there's, there's some upgrades to all of this, but that's, sure. that's at its core. Those are the two basic questions. So at its core, does it make sense for us to blank? And then, um, and if and if no response to your fallbacks, the then the next question is, what does it? Uh, what's a good next step then? And you throw it in there. I love yeah. that, man. Yeah, and it's and very uh, elegant. Johnny, all, yeah, all five models, um, and it's super simple, right? And we're just trying to take all the complexity out of it. But um, your your listeners can just go to my website and download the models. You don't, you don't even have to buy the book. Just just download the models, and you'll see all the models right there. All right, hit us with hit us with the website, James. It's puremere.com forward slash resources is where they would go to get the, those downloads. So, and, and the one I'm talking about, is just a, it basically a diagram that kind of shows you like a little flow chart. Oh, well, if you, you ask them this, then great, you get an advance. If you say no, then then answer this. It's very simple. So, but if you, essentially that's the crux. If all you're looking for is the questions, then um, you don't even need, need the book. You can just go download the, the tool. Phenomenal, man. This is, this is so helpful and I'm going to be going there and uh, listen, uh, you're talking to someone who teaches his clients 20 different ways to close people. Um, because usually uh, we have one way and we keep, we keep hitting people with that same blunt instrument. And uh, man, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in that, that nobody likes to feel sold. We all love to buy, but no one wants to feel sold. And um, you want to find a way to push someone to make them feel sold and screw up this part of the sale. And uh, yeah, well, the, that's what you're saying is, uh, and with, with the little meme that you saw is saying is that, you know, it doesn't matter how they answer either of those questions. It, you're emotionally on much higher ground than what you would have been if you say, will you X? And mm -hmm. they go, no. Then you're like, oh, oh, right. You're at a much lower point there. But if, if we're always just saying, hey, does it make sense? Or what do you think is the next step? They feel like they're in control. And so emotionally, we're always on this high plane. 
where we're actually just facilitating, we're serving, right? And um, I, you mm. know, I, I won't go off on a on a rant, but you know, that's what selling is. <laughs> it it's is serving. That's what it is. That's it what it is. is. I, and you're just trying you're just trying to help them get something done for themselves. You're coaching them, right? So. Oh man, man I I'll, love I'll it. Leave it. I'll leave it at that. Well, yeah, we'll leave it there. But man, I like, uh, yeah, so many, so many things around that. And you are, we're tiptoeing into a really deep and wonderful subject. Maybe we can come back and revisit that uh, another time. I'm, what I'd love to hear from you, man, is like because you you live this lifestyle, and you also you have a sales force. You have people who are out there that also are, um, you know, they're they're not in a, in a typical environment. How, how, like, is there anything that you can, that you can, that you can say helps people to stay sharp? And this can be like mindset and, and, and motivation because sometimes it's hard to do anything when you can do everything, James. Um, you know, methods, you know, being able to um, just, just stay sharp and, and, and crush it instead of uh, putting on the fuzzy bunny slippers and watching Oprah. <laughs> well, all right. So you want to focus on motivation or tactics for you? You, for you take me. You take me it. any any of those directions, man. Killing it, and and even though there's no one walking by your cubicle or your office to you know to chat or see what you're doing. Uh, all right. Well, I'll I'll start with motivation. I think if you want, I mean, we we can go any of those places. Um, uh, in terms of motivation, you know, I would just say the first is uh, you need to know what you actually want. What do you actually want as a person? And, and I, won't, I won't deny it. That's a hard question for people to answer. Like I, in a workshop, I'll say, okay, well, tell me what, tell, what, are you, what are you trying to get out of life? And they're like, hey, man, I came here for some sales tips. I didn't come here for mega life questions. But <laughs> it's kind of an important question to answer because your clarity around that is going to make every other goal to get to that easier. So everybody has a different what, right? For me, I have a target income that I want to earn so me and my family can live a lifestyle that we want and so we have enough resources to be able to help other people, honestly. That's, that's, what, um, that's what my, you know, that's what my what is, right? And then once you've done that, you kind of need to nail down the why. And the why is, well, why do you really want that? And, and I won't ruin it for your listeners, but I will tell you how to get there. Is that if you, let's just say your answer, what you want is a lot of money, great. Then you would ask yourself, well, why do I want that money? What would that let you do that you can't do today? And then, and then once you've written that down, then whatever that answer is, say, well, why do you want that? Right, so let, I'll just give you a hypothetical. Maybe you say, I want a motorhome. I'm like, okay, well, why do you want a motorhome? What would that let you do that you can't do? Okay, and then whatever the answer to that is, you answer again, why? I, and if you do this three, four, five times, right? Sometimes you'll have to go, I doubt you'll have to go farther than five times. It always ends in the exact same place. And that place is where real, you'll find out what your real motivation is. And it, I've done it lots of times and I know where it's going to land, but I don't want to ruin it for your listeners. So if you mm. take the time to do that, you're going to tap into a very strong why, right? And, uh, and that actually will be a lot more powerful than willpower. The truth is, is that willpower um, is, is finite. It's a, it's a resource that runs out of gas, right? You recharge at night and you get up in the morning and you have more willpower in the morning than you have in the afternoon. Yet, if we're tapping into the things that we really want, then you can see how it is that your job and the tasks that you do during the day are a way for you to get what really motivates you. So the key is get clarity around what it is. You know? And I think another thing around that is kind of what you and I were just touching on a second ago about selling being services. I think um, salespeople, and this motivates me, so I, I'm, uh, and, I, and I've seen it motivate others, but I'll just share it with everybody and you decide if it's motivating for you or not. And that's to understand what the true nature of selling is. A lot of people think that selling is like persuasion or it's like manipulation. And 
Uh, it's just, that is just not what it is. Um, let me just tell you a story that illustrates this perfectly. There, a, a while back, there was a story about this baby uh, named Kaiba Gianfrido is the name of the kid. Okay. And he was born with this defective trachea that caused him to stop breathing almost every day after he reached six weeks old. Okay. Almost every day. So his parents were doing CPR on him every day. Okay. It'd be in a, in a restaurant or at a bus stop or wherever they'd be doing CPR on this kid. It's the, the regular doctors did not expect this kid to live. And um, I just think about what that would be like as a parent. It's just, to me, it's just uh, tragic, right? Thinking at any moment your child might just stop breathing and die. So um, eventually these guys made their way to a doctor named Dr. Uh, Glenn Green at University of Michigan. And uh, this guy had developed this amazing 3D printed medical splint, right? That could be applied to his, to Kyba's trachea and save his life, but it wasn't FDA approved. So FDA, uh, so Dr. Green had to use this emergency provision uh, at the FDA to get approval so he could try this 3D medically printed biodegradable um, medical splint to try to save the uh, Kaiba. And it, it actually worked, right? So he got approval, the procedure was a success, and that biodegradable 3D medically uh, printed splint saved his life, right? And so it's this amazing story, right? And we think, we think Dr. Green is awesome. I mean, we all marvel with gratitude and the efforts that saved this little kid's life, right? And we can sense and connect with the goodness of it. And when we see stuff like that, we say, hey, yeah, I'm, that's, that's part of humanity. I love that, right? If I could save somebody that way, I would absolutely do it. Well, here's the thing. I, I shared that amazing story with, but did you know there was a sale involved in that? Someone had to sell the, it to him, didn't they? Absolutely. The CT and the MRI scans that, um, that, re, that were required for the printing of the, of the trachea um, uh, implant uh, cost money. Right, the lasers and the 3D printers and the biodegradable materials that they print with, those all cost money too. And the guy that's actually responsible for selling all that and making it possible after they got FDA approvals named Scott Hollister. But we don't hear too much about the selling parts of those stories. And believe me, there's thousands of stories just like this one I'm telling you right here. And so the big question is, well, why, why is it that we see this type of sale differently than other type of sales, right? We all love this kind of sale. We're like, yes, that, that, for, for, um, for Scott Hollister to sell this, he was absolutely serving that family and absolutely serving that child. So why is it that we see that kind of sale differently? And the reason is because we can easily connect the effects of these solutions with the people's lives, right? That's why we can, we can make that connection without sales to fund the effort that splint would have never been made. And that, that baby would have died. Okay. And, and these dramatic examples help us see what selling really is. And that's service. Selling is an act of service. And, and while not every um, solution aims to like, you know, address those same lofty goals, you know, some solutions feed people and some uh, ease people's pain uh, with medicines and some help people communicate or travel and some, you know, uh, offer solutions that just help individuals focus on higher value activities, right? They don't have to m focus on the mundane activities so they can focus on more important stuff like family. But each of those solutions, regardless of what it is we sell, helps someone either achieve a goal, fulfill a dream, or avert a crisis of some kind, right? And uh, each solution, regardless of how big or how small it is, helps the person move from where they're at to where they want to be. And so helping a customer move towards their goal is an act of service. And so it shouldn't be difficult or stressful at all. It should be easy, right? Easy in the same way that we would say, 
hey, I would save a life like that if I could do that, right? And that's just because selling is serving. So I, I'm, I probably spent too much time on that, but that's, that's ingrained in my blood. That I just want to serve, right? That motivates me day in and day out. So, um, you know, hopefully somebody on this uh, who's listening on this can get the same kind of juice that I get out of that. Brother, that was so good, James. That that is that's what that's what gets me going, man. And you know that I believe salespeople are heroes, but we do it when we, we our secret power is when we're not self motivated, but we're motivated by what we can do for others. And, Amen, uh, brother. And and the money will take care of itself. If it you will. Do that. It will. And, and right? if you just focus 100% on the customer, everything will work out. You will get paid. Don't go into it thinking about what's in it for you. You'll be taken care of. And, and you, you kind of, you led me in a direction. If anyone out there has not read uh, Donald Miller's Building a Story Brand, uh, and I'm sure you have, James, because what you're talking about is we are really, the, the, the other person is really the hero, not you. And you're delivering them to a place to where they're achieving their dreams or averting crisis. I forget the other one that you mentioned there, but it's, it's, we're helping them conquer their, their mountains, slay their dragons. Uh, we are not the hero in the process. I, I love that dude. That is, that is some powerful stuff right there. So yeah, um, I, I think the way to, yeah, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. No, 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 you, I was, I, I think the way to think about it is, is that a coach, right? Be a coach. And uh, I think um, the most important thing, regardless of whether you're selling a new client or whether you're a manager uh, or an individual, uh, you're coaching an individual contributor, the key is that mindset, right? Uh, I mean, regardless of our goals, we'd all love to have a coach who's trying to help us get there at our own pace, right? And if the clients are engaging us because they're trying to make some kind of positive change. Um, sales reps are trying to do the same thing. They're both expecting us to be the coach, right? And if they could do it on their own, they wouldn't be even talking to us. Right, but both of both the sales reps and both the customers they want to um, they want some help to guide them through each little commitment it takes to make to make their goals. So it's really a lot more than selling or managing. It's it's uh, in both cases it's really more about leadership. And if we just approach all our inter our interactions as a coach uh, rather than being a manager, rather than being a salesperson, then the whole dynamic of your interactions with others just changes dramatically. It engenders trust and loyalty and it'll make a that alone actually will make a massive difference in your interactions with clients because they'll sense that you're just trying to help well and you just remove the adversarial role that so many people feel and I actually I've, I've noticed some new salespeople and, and even old salespeople they have this thing that's that's rejecting that because they feel like oh gosh I, I've got to go do this thing I've got to sell to this person forgetting that selling is something you do uh, for someone and with someone not to someone and um, man, I, I love where I love where you took that one, man. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, just to amplify what you just said, so I, I ended up uh, training a, a organization where they had taken all their account executives that were formally doing support only. They did not carry quota, and they converted them all, and they all started to carry a quota. And I got in there to do this workshop, and uh, and at the very beginning. I started doing a little, we do a little workout session, right? Where we figure out what their challenges are. And I realized, holy smokes, these guys, they, and they were saying things like, I've gone to the dark side. How can I go to my <laughs> customer now that I have my hand out and I, I want their money? And I'm like, wow, you guys are seeing sales in such the wrong way. It is not like that. And I, but we had to change, we had to hijack the whole workshop for at least a couple of hours while we get to get their head turned around. Mindset, right? so they wouldn't yeah. Be able to, yeah, yeah. You get your head going in the right direction so they could receive the rest of the training. But they walked out going, yes, that made a big difference, right? It's just understanding that selling is serving. 
Man, this is this has been really good. I love uh, just the practical tips, everything from being prepared, uh, you know, to you know, both in your bag as well as your presentation and your closing questions, to uh, really just driving it home on really what and how we should see sales internally and be motivated by that. Uh, James, how um, we we are we are we are rounding third. We're running into home, and you're about to slide, and you're going to be safe for the for the for the game-winning run here. I want to know how can we get in touch with you, and what's and what's next for uh, James Muir and the adventures of his awesome uh, his awesome life and family. Sure. Well, I got a couple projects cooking that maybe your listeners would be interested in. Uh, the, I'm almost done with a field guide for the perfect close so that organizations can run their own perfect close workshops without needing to have me there. Right. So you, you just go buy the book. Everything you need to run your own perfect close workshop will be all in the book. Right. So that should that, that should be done here in just a few weeks, actually. And then uh, we'll we'll see how long the printing takes. Um, and then I'm in the middle of a book on tactical prospecting that I'm super excited about. Um, and so I'm hoping to have that all completed by the end of the year. And I was able to uh, deliver some of that material at the Outbound um, Conference in Atlanta earlier in April uh, with Jeb Blunt and Anthony Annarino and Mike you know, Weinberg and those guys, uh, Mark Hunter. Um, but uh, in terms of contacting me, well, you know, you know my name. It's James Muir. I'm the author of the best-selling book, The Perfect Close. Really the best way to get a hold of me is just to go to the website, uh, which is puremuir.com, P-U-R-E-M-U-I-R. Dot com, and you can download the first three chapters of the book. There's a special report about the seven deadly myths of closing. There's a bunch of sales planning forms, agenda templates. Like I mentioned, you can just download all the perfect close models right there and see if it's for you before you even get the book. And if you are, great. Actually, right now, the Amazon's got my book on sale. It's a buck fifty if you get it on Kindle. So it'd be like a no-brainer uh, to get it if you haven't gotten it already. But um, and you're, certainly they're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter or even Facebook if you don't mind seeing my personal stuff. Um, but uh, I'm happy to, to help them out wherever they can. Love it. James Pure Muir, you rocked the house. You helped us to level up and be able to go out there and sell anywhere. And guys, if we can sell anywhere, we can sell everywhere. Uh, for, for now, we're going to call it a, a wrap. Go out there and crush it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend, for joining us on the Sell Anywhere podcast, where if you can sell anywhere, you can sell everywhere, and your talent is not limited to your zip code. I want to tell you right now, just go into the show notes or go to thesalesclassroom.com, and you're going to find more. You're going to get that free home selling survival kit that we told you about, as well as other ways to interact directly with me, your host, Donnie Tuttle. And if you just want to drop me a line, tell me that you like something or suggest someone for the show, find me on DonnieTuttle.com or go to my LinkedIn. I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. So great hanging with you and we will catch you on the flip side.